Photography and cinematography is catching lightning in a bottle, figuratively and literally. Light enters a sealed container, and the imprint it makes on the photosensitive surface is captured forever. But it's for sure lightning. In street photography, the shot exists for a moment, and if you miss it, it's never coming back. With film, an insane amount of time, money, and resources go into merely creating the right conditions for a shot, and a multitude of variables can still screw it up. Welcome to Candela. I'm Alan Schaller, and what you're listening to is a new podcast focused on the most talented people operating a camera, be it one that captures stills or moving images. We're often aware of photographers and cinematographers' work, but really their process, their thoughts, their philosophies, and how they got to where they are. As we hear from some of the best in the game in this show, we hope there'll be some educational value for those of you listening who are interested in creating but also just insight and entertainment for those fascinated by photography, film and television. I'm Christopher Hooten, the co-host of Candela. Alan you may know as a prolific street photographer shooting exclusively in black and white, while my passion is filmmaking, which grew out of a decade spent as a film critic for a range of publications. But Alan and I's friendship goes back way before either of us had even entered our respective fields. We became friendly around the time we were at separate universities, where we'd occasionally record music, mostly thrash metal, with mattresses pressed to the living room walls as makeshift soundproofing. Fast forward a few years, and Chris and I found there were a lot of opportunities for us to collaborate, as Chris became a journalist and I focused on photography. We did several assignments together on a You Do The Words, I Do The Pictures basis, which took us from rural Japan to Maldivian atolls and from indie porn sets to funeral awards ceremonies. A fair amount of our daily step counts have been shared, not to mention quite a few airport beers. Last year, I associate directed a film Chris wrote and directed, and now we find ourselves in our latest venture, podcasting. So, we hope you get a kick out of Candela and enjoy hearing from the illustrious guests we have joining us on the show. In the first few episodes, notorious photographers like Steve McCurry and Martin Parr will be chatting with us, along with the directors of photography behind films and TV shows like Fight Club, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Joker, and Euphoria. It will get a little technical at times, but we want to respect our listeners' intelligence. And hey, Google is your friend for any confusing terms. For the moment, this is going to be an episode-by-episode, guest-orientated thing, but we're definitely keeping the door open for exploring different areas of visual arts, and in different ways. Your feedback will be much appreciated here. First up, before the guests arrive, I just speak to Alan, to go a little deeper into how we think about photography and cinematography, and how these disciplines intersect. So I'm Christopher Heaton and I'm here with my good friend Alan Scheller, sitting cross-legged on his floor of his spare room. The man himself is lying supine on his back. I don't know why, it just feels a little bit more comfortable that way, Al. Absolutely. Yeah, this is the way to podcast, for sure. <laughs> so, it's, you know, this is this is weird because I've known you for many years, and but it's probably the first time we're having like a, a recorded conversation rather than just you and me <laughs> chatting away. But, um, for, yeah. so, you know, a lot of people who may be listening and may be into your work have been viewing a lot of your work but probably don't actually know a huge amount about you probably haven't heard your voice before or know much of the backstory so I think people would be interested to just hear how you how and when you came into photography and the why I guess sure so how did I get into photography so I've been creative from a young age doing music uh, don't know why but I wanted to go down the creative path from pretty early on um, and 
photography was something that never really occurred to me to try until I was about 25 and I met a girl who I uh, who I liked and was convinced that in buying a camera um, I would become more attractive to her because she was into <laughs> photography as well and then I got into photography that way and pretty quickly got snapped up by some publications uh, when I started producing a series on the underground and I got into street photography pretty quick and uh, yeah started putting out that work and uh, yeah it kind of just went on from there and then started getting obsessed with black and white and developing my style more and trying to get the work out to people. Do you think the uh, the whole thing about... Because uh, I, I as well felt like from a young age that I wanted to end up doing something creative. I think your parents are not from like creative professional backgrounds, right? And mine aren't either. I wonder if that's like a weird kind of way we sort of rebel in a way we want to do something different i think so i i've got i know i've got a friend whose parents are both creatives and she's now doing law yes 100 um, percent. Yeah. and so my parents are the opposite and i did something creative i i wasn't consciously doing it as a yeah as like a screw you parents yeah but, i think it's a subconscious um, thing but yeah you you you're you're from a similar background to me i'm sure i, I imagine that you had the same yeah, kind of thing. And, and likewise, you know, if we ever have kids, they'll probably be like, "I'm not going to be a stupid creative like my parent. I'm going to do a proper <laughs> job." God damn it! <laughs> yeah, I want to be like an anaesthetist or 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 a, or a oh, I don't know. Yeah, there. Are, although having said that, despite the loving what I do very much, and I know you love what you do very much, I wouldn't recommend it unless you know it, it's it's probably harder work than a lot of things. Yeah. In terms of like self motivation and having basically, you know, being your own, your own entire team. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> it's your... being creative. It's, it's Sisyphus rolling the ball up the hill, isn't it? It's like everything is against you, and the chances of failure are extremely high. <laughs> and you just got to absolutely put in, be willing to put in a hell of a lot of just work, really, more than anything. Yeah, it's grafting. Do you think what, when you uh, so when you picked up a, a camera, you know, you mm. used to do a little bit of music stuff, and then you were like, "I'm going to try after every." Did, was the idea to do street? Was that partly just out of like pragmatism because everything's there, or how much of it was you know that was what you really were interested in? Um, good question. Uh, I think I think it's not my first rodeo. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> this is mine. <laughs> um, I think. Street photography has an appeal because you don't need any setups, you don't need any budget, you need a camera, whatever it is, whether it's a phone to a Leica or whatever, and you just go out there and shoot it, uh, which slots into people's lives quite nicely, and it certainly worked for me. I just happened to fall upon street photography through the work of Cartier-Bresson uh, and just thought, wow, that that's extraordinary. And I don't know why it, it hit me in the way it did, but it did. Yeah. In the same way that like the Zeppelin and the Beatles and bands like that got me when I was young. Very similar feeling. What about you? What what what, what pushed you into? I mean, everyone loves films, but what what pushes you into going that far down into it? I think. Yeah, because obviously, you know, I was, even though now I've only been sort of trying to make films the last few years, like always since, you know, I started being a film critic one about a decade ago, I think it, a lot of it for me is the, which is funny because it's kind of the opposite of like the thing with street photography being that it's so accessible is like how inaccessible it is. Mm. I, th- I think living in, in these times where, you know, anyone can make a song, 
anyone can write some poetry and put it up online and that's great like it's that's so good but i think i like obviously obviously there is sometimes that feeling of everything being done whereas i like the fact that i think everything isn't done by a long shot in film you know there are a million things that have never been staged different time periods different places and i quite like the fact that you have to kind of work for a year and a half and spend a load of time and money to even be able to do that and something about that process i think i kind of enjoy yeah i mean working together on on that film that we did um mm. or force indigo um yeah I, I it was the first time for me working on on a film set and it was yeah about as far from stills photography as you can get yeah. in terms of laboriously setting up shots and then it's weird because it's a really non-creative environment. It's like a laboratory, really. Incredibly technical. And you're there trying to make something that is yeah. creative and inspired within the, this context of stuff that's very, very, like, anti-creative. It's yeah, just yeah, about and time. it gets that point and then you're like, right, everyone, be creative now. Yeah, be creative now. Yeah, not now, <laughs> now. <laughs> which is, yeah, the, the street photography is a obviously completely different ballgame, which relies on you kind of always being tied to it even if you're out at dinner i don't well at least that, that that's my kind of philosophy on it is is always have a camera with you and always keep your, your eye open yeah. one eye open for things that are going on around you i guess one thing we've both um agreed on is like the need to want the or the desire to use good equipment right like i remember when you first picked up a camera it was a good camera like some people were just like you know just get a, some, just get whatever and, and get out there. But I think we both like value, like the right equipment, right? Yeah. I think there's a whole thing about, um, you know, it doesn't matter what you use, uh, just get out and use it, which I, I understand to a degree. But weirdly, I think like, you know, the more of a beginner you are, the, the better it, it helps to have really good stuff that, that isn't hard to, to use and get your uh, vision out. You know, like how a $10,000 guitar will play way better than a $100 guitar. But, you know, it almost seems like you should give the 10000 one to a beginner so they can learn. So it's yeah. easy for their fingers rather than having to play something that is just awful. Um, but, and then you get to the stage where, you know, a great guitarist will pick up a $100 guitar and make it sound amazing. And it's kind of the same thing, I, I imagine, with cinematographers and photographers. It's not important what you use compared to the person using it, but you know, to say that the equipment isn't important and worth researching and, and understanding is ridiculous. Yeah, you know, it's, it's you know, any F1 driver will tell you that the car is important and that you can't win in a in a tub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> One thing I guess that I always I always think about you, and you know, we know each other very well, and when. People, you know, we're talking. Uh, if I'm speaking about you when you're not around and stuff, I would say that you're incredibly hard worker, and I think that's something when we speak to Steve McCurry on the podcast that he mentioned as well. Like your output, you're out there on the on the streets a hell of a lot. Mm. Um, obviously, like part of that is just you know you you want to hustle and work hard, but I guess you you must. I mean, you must enjoy the process, right? When you're you spend. Uh, I guess two-part question of like what the process is like for you and also the kind of nuts and bolts for it and like your routine like when what time do you usually start how do you start your day of shooting and that kind of thing um so I, yeah I, I think it's almost like I'm, I'm pretty obsessed by it but it's also hugely gratifying so I get it seems a, a, quite peaceful and meditative it is because I, I tend to when I'm going out shooting I you know 
you, you've got to really focus on on it if you want to do anything decent. You can't really walk down the street, you know, eating a hot dog or <laughs> whatever yeah. and, and, and expect to be able to perform. You've got to really focus on it. And um got quite a busy brain and it's, it's, it is a lovely thing to kind of focus on and, and just forget whatever's going on around me day to day and get involved with it. And also it's hugely gratifying to, <clears throat> to, to get the shot and, you know, to pull something out of nothing. And it's quite addictive. I get a kind of sense of achievement out of it. You know, not in the sense of like when a doctor saves a life or anything, that must be incredible. Yeah. But for me, it's more just like a little, you know, it, all, it's a little dopamine hit. Little, isn't well, it? You get, you it, get that it, shot and you're like, yeah, <laughs> I'd say it's more like if I don't get one, I feel like it's, if I don't try at least to get, to do some work, you know, in the day like that, of that kind, then I feel like it's a day wasted. Yeah. And I've always been like that since I was young, actually with music. And I, I guess I like, I think the reason I've been drawn to like guitar playing and photography is because it's something that you, it's quite a, so, a solo player game. Yeah. You, you don't need to be in front of a crowd. You you can just do it. You know, it's just as gratifying for me in at home, like editing or, you know, going, it's, it's like a lifestyle choice, I think. Yeah. So I, I, it doesn't work for everyone, but I, I really enjoy it. And, and I guess the, regarding when do I go out, it's kind of up, depends on what's going on. So when I started photography, uh, I would go out, I would shoot on my way to my other work, which was music, and I was working in the studio in London. And I would shoot half an hour a day going to work and half an hour back on the underground. So my first series was called Life on the Underground. And that cost me zero, you know, time. I was shooting during free time that I, I had anyway. So that's what I'd recommend to people if, if, you know, they don't have time to shoot that much to uh, try and figure out something that fits in a series that they could work on or yeah, that fits in around their lives. Um, that really helped me. And nowadays, like, it, it kind of depends. Sometimes I go out for eight hours. Sometimes I go out for ten minutes. And sometimes I, I recognise that I'm not in, in, a, in a particularly good place, uh, like in a creative zone or whatever you want to call it and you'll cut your losses rather than try and force it maybe yeah and it's like maybe i should do something else today like go through my archive and pick out some other work or but yeah it's got to be a little bit of something every day yeah i get the whole solitary thing even though you know a film set is hugely collaborative it's a in terms of time it's one of the shorter parts of the process and actually you know in pre-production and before that when you're just sitting there with a computer writing and in post you know i like to edit edit myself because i think like if you if you don't enjoy editing then you shouldn't be in film that's kind of the whole thing really is where you find the film Mm. um but they're both like very solitary things but i get a lot of enjoyment out of them and i've you know i've I think they're quite good for me as well. Like I've, you know, dealt with depression a lot in my adult life. And I know if I sit down in front of the screen, even if what I'm editing together isn't the most interesting, amazing thing that I've always wanted to work on. It's like something about that process of just being like locked in, in the, in the editing zone is quite, quite pleasant. Well, it's such a, an incredible process making a film, you know, cause you, you write, you, you, you do the script. So like from that imaginative, like totally fantasy stage to then it, going through all that pre-production and then location, scouting, and then getting yeah. the right people, and then actually pulling it off. And then, you know, it's like a crazy project. It's, it's totally, totally different to 
is yeah to any <laughs> process i've ever seen like it's totally different to writing an album it's like a, a really films are, are like these huge kind of like cities almost yeah <laughs> for the, the kind of projects whereas you do have to like when you're in the writing stage kind of have to shut off that part of your brain about production otherwise it will just you'll scale back your dreams because you could you could literally be sit down and be like you know, say the protagonist Luke. Luke walks out onto a busy New York street. That is going to cost. You know, that's about three hundred thousand pound worth a day yeah, on set. But if you if you think about that, then you're just going to scale it back and be like, <laughs> Luke walks into a small locked down room in a lot in Los Angeles. You know, so you kind of have to just. Luke not... walks into my mother's apartment. Yeah, yeah. my producer's uh, spare bedroom. Yeah. Um, so you kind of have to try and yeah not think about those things when the time comes not in that stage otherwise yeah you'll only be writing bedroom based sitcoms <laughs> yeah well I because I I know a lot a lot of people see the street photography thing and and they, and they think wow that, that kind of makes sense you know you mm. you you're just out there on your own and it's just, I don't know I like it if you um it's totally different as you as you've like improved do you, do you feel like you take more or less well, A, shots in general, but also more or less successful shots? Um, I think it's all relative. So what I would have, what I would deem a successful shot now, or let's say that if I take 20 shots now, two years ago, all of those would probably be, I would have found impressive. Yeah. Or like been proud of. And, and now, you know, as you gain experience and your standards go up, uh, you know, it, it it's still hard to get pictures that I approve of. Um, so the the answer is, I think it's it's still it's quite tricky. And does, it's, that, does it's, that worry you? Does it make you think like the when you keep setting the bar higher for yourself? You're like, oh my god, one day I'm going to be setting it so hard, I'm going to struggle to find a picture that I'm happy with. Yeah, maybe, but that's that's why you got to go out and do it all the time. Uh, I I kind of trust myself now that that stuff will happen. Cartier Bresson, Henri Cartier Bresson came up with a quote which was live and, and life will give you pictures. Which mm. is a really cheesy quote, really, but I like it because it's telling you to go out and engage. Yeah. And that's the answer to it. And it's true. You can't expect things to come to you. You can't expect to rest on your laurels and be like, oh, I'm good at this. So, you know, if you stay shooting in the same places, it's just going to become pretty stagnant and boring and uninspiring so yeah it's, it's a tricky thing like we, we, all creative processes have different challenges and, and the one with street photography is to keep moving to keep uh, to have access to new places you've got to try and develop your own niche and your own style but not be but not have it so restrictive that that you you become a one-trick pony yeah um so it, it's a tough one it looks pretty simple on paper but it's not I like this quote by Ansel Adams. Ansel said, if you make 12 significant pictures a year, it's been a good year. Mm. So that's one a month. So I produce quite a lot of pictures every month, but uh, if I get one that I feel I want to put in a portfolio book or, or you know, I would exhibit or is really one that I personally connect with, uh, regardless of how it performs online or whatever, then I'm happy with it. So that's my kind of barometer. Uh, but obviously I take hundreds of pictures a month thousands of pictures a month so yeah that's the ratio it's probably like three thousand to one getting, yeah getting good pictures yeah I, re I like that Bresson quote i think 
it kind of all ties back to same with writing in like gonzo journalism that it's it's great to be like an observer and kind of on the on the periphery like looking in but if you can put yourself in the middle of like areas and things that are happening you tend to probably get more interesting content mm, 100 percent. but that well that's the thing with film is you're creating your own env- environment you you control every single aspect almost yeah and then I guess the actors are the ones who can be a bit more free if if you want. When we were talking to Adam from Euphoria, uh, I was amazed to hear about the process, you know, of how free he they were on film, yeah, on, 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 on set. Uh, I guess that doesn't happen very often, does it? No. Yeah, it's a challenge to keep try and keep it feeling so playful when there's, you know, big HBO money riding on it. And, yeah. I guess part of our interest to speak to cinematographers as well is that People always talk to actors a lot when when it comes to films. Obviously, directors and that makes total sense. But so much time is spent talking to actors and like absolutely not to besmirch actors in any way. But like they'd be the first to admit that their job is just to interpret, you know, the part, and they are a tool really for the for the filmmaker. Um, mm. But where whereas. Uh, yeah, director photography also a tool in some way. They've got to like try and achieve the director's vision, but um, just felt like they've been a bit, a little bit neglected. Really, these guys <laughs> pulling well, off yeah, this incredible stuff. We we were saying, you know, if you watch uh, a premiere like the red carpet event, you'll see the the DOP just walk past everyone and yeah, you know, no one. And it's like that person probably has you know more Academy Awards than anyone there. <laughs> Or like so, some of them do. Yeah, some of them have won multiple awards. Some of them are, you know, hugely influential, and people don't even know their names, which I guess is a blessing in some ways. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I imagine the whole celebrity life of someone like uh, Brad Pitt would get extremely tiring. For sure. Um, yeah, it's nice to, I suppose, be respected in your field by your peers, but be unknown to everyone else. Yeah. That that's that's the dream. I think weirdly with photographers as well, like it's, it's a bit different, you know, in the, especially in the social media age, they've been able to find big audiences, but they're still a little bit anonymous. I think you sort well, of, you, you know, the name and you definitely know the shots, but you don't tend to know a lot about them usually. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just did a show in, in Los Angeles uh, at the Leica gallery there. And, uh, I was, I was standing there and this lady came up to me and went, um, Hi, do you, do you know who the uh, where the photographer is? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she went, okay. And I said, I'll take you over to him. And then I just <laughs> walked a little bit and then said hello. <laughs> just turned around <laughs> and said hello. She went, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, it's me. She went, all right, okay. And I guess, you know, my, my thing on Instagram is just a tiny little avatar of me in black and white that doesn't, particularly look like me either apparently somehow I cannot capture a picture of myself or have a picture taken of me that represents how I actually look have you ever encountered uh, people thinking you must be like a miserable bastard because some of your photos are quite like <laughs> moody and have a, like an element of sadness to them? oh 100% I, I, yeah it's like oh, he's probably on his third divorce <laughs> sceptical no, I know when, you, when, you've, met, when you've met other photographers as well, you've been like surprised that they didn't have the character that you necessarily expected, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, uh, there's one photographer I met, um, uh, Bruce Gilden, who's a fantastic icon in in street photography, and he uh, I met him in in Milan 
we were working out there for a, a photo festival and and he um yeah he's he's renowned for being quite tough and like you know in your face on the <laughs> yeah. street let's say i met him and, and i was expecting him to be like shooting me down and being really but he was just the nicest guy <laughs> just yeah like, just talking about his wife and missing her and being at home on his on his plant on his uh what's it called uh <laughs> like vegetable patch oh nice but well, what do you call <laughs> like, veg- a lo- like an allotment a greenhouse an allotment like, yeah, yeah on his allotment he, he was just talking about wanting to be on his allotment eating vegetables and being with his wife yeah but that's another thing isn't it that you you get uh online people assume things and uh start writing about them and then people believe them yeah for some reason also, I mean, a weird thing, weird version of that with film is that because there's such a big delay between when you might write something and when it ends up going into production, you're in a very different headspace. So you sort of, I, like the the film you and I did, you know, is mostly sort of about a, a very toxic relationship kind of gone wrong. And, you know, I haven't been in one of those myself, but I was definitely, when I wrote it, having just come out of a relationship, was thinking about relationships a lot and the kind of dynamic between people. And then when I came to shoot it, I think, you know, it was probably in production too, a couple of years later. I was not only in a different headspace in terms of like how I think about those things, but also probably tonally and like my sense of, like I wouldn't, I'm not as interested in realism as much, still am, but not as much as I was then. So it's funny because you end up um, making these ideas happen when you're in a slightly different place. Not necessarily a bad thing. It's just kind of a weird mm. little bit of cognitive dissonance you get. No, I, I I've never even thought of that as a, as an option because so yeah. It's and sometimes of, you know you know there are, there are films that people have written and then seventeen years later they get made and it's like that must be a hell of, one of a hell of a head. Yeah, what happens when you don't believe the script that you've written? Anymore? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a beautiful thing about photography, isn't it? It's like I feel like this. I could go out. You know, say you feel like X, you can go out and shoot Y or try to, and pretty quickly no, you know, surmise whatever it is that you want to yeah uh but yeah films i think what was it I, I i met this photographer once who she was showing me her work and she was flicking through this book uh she's kind of in her 90s a very uh she was an amazing photographer called called dorothy bohm and she she said uh well she's flicking the page so fast like two seconds and Every two seconds, she turned the page, and I said, "You know, can I just have a minute to look at them?" And she said, "They take a second to take and a second to look at." And I thought, "Hmm, interesting." Interesting. And she genuinely was like, "If you don't understand the picture within a second, then just move on." <laughs> and I think a lot of photographers, and I loved that because I thought, "Yeah, you know, photography is different in the sense of." Uh, you know, film takes a long time to make and it takes a long time to watch. Yeah. And then it has, a, a in some ways, a much, you know, it has the scope for a much bigger impact. Even than, than like um, in in a format like painting, which is closer to photography in a way, like with the risk of sounding a pretentious wanker, like the longer you look, look at a painting, new stuff does like start to reveal itself or yeah. you start to feel different about it. But it's uh, interesting that maybe photography is more instantaneous in that. I think it is and I think that's why Instagram is built yeah, on photos because it is scroll just, scroll oop thumb stub yeah, your thumb and that's it I think a lot of photographers get too caught up in it and they expect too much out of the audience like people are going to look at it for ages they're not 
Yeah. You know, and, and if the picture cannot be understood very quickly, then um, you haven't done your job. It's true. <laughs> and you shouldn't expect people to read a thousand words under it either uh, to explain the photo. That's yeah. the skill of photography, is being able to convey a concept very clearly without it being too simplistic. You know, like the picture of uh, the sailor tipping the lady for the, the, the famous kiss on V-Day. Or the uh, tragic picture of the, the napalm girl by Nick Hutt, mm. uh, you know, which is taking a very complex thing in history and just presenting it like there it is and surmising it that's really 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 amazing and tricky yeah i think to get right I, I agree with you about you know long captions and long accompanying text like i feel like explaining intention is the death of art a little bit you know you don't tell people how to feel about a, uh, an image or whatever the the format is or, mm. or or necessarily your intention it's just leave i think leaving open interpretation is often often good yeah that's why the hardest thing for me is titling a picture yeah. i really 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 don't like doing it no, it feels kind of yeah pretentious, but you need. But maybe now, now maybe I'm, I'm growing just... up in the photography world. Now I've, I need to like catalog print sales, and they can't all be called London because you know all my London series have to have different names because otherwise you don't know which ones you've sold or which edition. Oh, maybe so. you should just go down the route of them being like one point one, one point two. <laughs> you know, just be like I'm, I refuse. <laughs> Like Terminator, just like log everything. <laughs> this horrible system. Binary. Bum, yeah. bum, 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 bum. <laughs> no, I, I've so I'm coming up with with silly names, uh, and sometimes I let my friends decide. Uh, yeah, just just come up with a title. Yeah, I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think that the photographer has ownership over the moment that they've taken uh, on the street. It's just something that they've observed and been there to take. Yeah. Uh, so you know. It could be called whatever the viewer wants. Yeah, makes sense. So, uh, how long have you been doing photography now? It feels like it's been forever, but it really hasn't. No, I've been doing it. I'm I'm now at the time of recording, thirty-one years of age. Yes. Uh, and so, I guess I've been doing it since I was twenty-five. So, it was yeah. sixth year. Yeah. Um, yeah we we should mention we've like been collaborating with it and since ever since you started really because whereas my when i was more focused purely on journalism we'd do it go to a lot of places and you'd do the photos and i'd do the words which is yeah quite, quite a fun partnership actually it was it was uh yeah and we still dip into that occasionally outside yeah, yeah, of films yeah. and straight just straight up photography yeah i mean i've always enjoyed um journal you know those kind of opportunities but more for this the way that you can gain access to crazy things yeah. through a newspaper rather than, you know, I don't want to be outside Downing Street taking a picture of Boris Johnson or whoever coming out of, you know, number 10 to give a speech. Yeah. Or, you know, but, yeah. but I would, I think my favourite one we did probably, I mean, obviously we we went to the Maldives together, which was incredible and an experience that uh, I'm glad that we didn't have to pay for ourselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but... Uh, do you remember when we did the the funeral awards? Yeah, I really enjoyed that. That was the most British weird thing uh, that I've experienced. So, so we went, yeah, we. Just and give... yeah, I think also I think I went into that with a preconception of like, oh, this will be this will be funny and like not to just rip it to shreds, but kind of to have some fun with it. And we definitely did. But at the same time, I was quite 
some of the people I spoke to, it was, I had some really deep conversations about death and people had some yeah. quite interesting renegade thoughts about it, which was quite cool. Well, yeah, just, just for people listening who, who uh, yeah, we, we did say the UK Funeral Awards. It's, um, they, they give out awards like Grove Digger of the Year and a, <laughs> Most Original Casket Design. It was, it was insane. Uh, well worth doing. And, and I think those, yeah, so I'm still very happy to do projects like that. Yeah, anything that's a bit odd, and you just learn stuff, don't you? Yeah, you do from from these kinds of things. And I, I see, I see photography or the camera itself as an excuse to do things that I never would have done yeah. before. So I've ended up doing things like skydiving and just you know things like hanging uh, out on porn sets, hanging out <laughs> on porn sets, which sounds weird, but <laughs> was legit. That was a legit thing for as a as a piece of journalism. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I've always been. I just love to. I just love to see different aspects of humanity, and I, I'm. I'm just as happy to go to a place that I don't even necessarily like as I am to one that is clearly very beautiful. I don't know. I just like to be out there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's the thing, and and with pictures, yeah, you can never predict when when a good one's going to happen. You know, it sounds great to be to say right. I'm going to visit the la, you know the Louvre in Paris. And I'm going to go there with my camera and I'm going to take some amazing pictures because it's a great, great sculpture or a great, you know, very interesting site. But, you know, the chart, well, every time I do that, I very rarely get images. And it's normally like on the, in the airport or, I don't know, on the street on the way there or in the hotel looking out the window, on the, you know, on the street on the, that night. That, that's when the shot happens uh, rather than planning stuff. So, yeah, you really do just have to go out there and do stuff, even if you think, oh, you know. Yeah, right, yeah, right down to the fact that like a lot of photographers do constantly put themselves in those places and in different places. Whereas I know recently, even though you do still travel a lot and take, you're just as happy to be shooting within two mile radius of your house as you are on the other side of the planet. Yeah, that's the philosophy: is uh, anytime, anywhere, <laughs> any light, anything. Yeah, so any level of sobriety or not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's right. Just, Depending on your own mental state, <laughs> I, I produce very different pictures after a couple of uh, gin and tonics. Yeah, and also hungover, as we've discovered. Hungover works, <laughs> like, and I'm not putting that out there as a as a as a tip. <laughs> but um, the, it's weird the, the yeah. ratio of whenever I'm hungover, I, I tend to take an image that I that's actually decent. I don't know why. Uh, but yeah, that that pigeon, the one I called pigeon, served three ways. One of the the, yeah. the bird reflected in the window and then the shadow. I I I, I was finding it hard to walk around. Um, <laughs> I was really dehydrated and yeah had been out and anyway I took it and it, I was happy with it. So to uh, I guess to start to wrap up our little our little introductory episode before we kind of for the foreseeable or for the moment break out into kind of bringing in some other voices in cinematography and photography. Mm. What is a uh, what are your plans for the future? What are your intentions? My plans for the future? Yeah, and, and in photography, what's the... Uh... Um, I don't know. I, I think continue down this route. I, I'm, I'm working on a book now, uh, my first book, which was... I haven't waited because I didn't have the material. I waited because I wanted to have... Uh, I wanted to put out a book and, and think... I should, you know, and not think I should have waited a couple yeah. of years. You know, I, I want like the pictures I was taking. If I'd made a book two years ago, I would have been upset now with that book. Whereas yeah. I think, I think now I've got to the point where I'm happy with everything, 
and uh, probably will look back in five years at the work I've done now and not cringe, which <laughs> has taken a while. Mm. Um, so yeah, so so doing that book and just more traveling, more exhibitions, more shooting. That's my plan. What about you, Chris? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I want to start to... Well, I, I've got such a tremendous love for film um, and there is something very unique about film, but I think I'm interested to work on some television in the, in the coming years. I think Ooh. something about the, um, the the series basis, you know, the series, some, a show that can run for eight seasons, I think you can get into a really kind of novelistic vibe, you know, and you know the characters, oh, you no longer have to think about showing their faces and establishing stuff. You can just get really deep into, like, some character territory. So Sounds like a lot of work. Hell of a lot of work. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, you just sort of make it, but, you know, it could be, like, ten years of your life, but you sort of think, you know, it just becomes you, which I quite I quite like. You're like a masochist. I've just realised it. Just the more pain and, and, and production and headache... <laughs> the more you gravitate towards it, I think it's just busy. I think it's just busyness. I think I just I'm someone who needs to keep busy, and uh, Jesus Christ, that's a way to stay busy. <laughs> that is a way to stay busy. Yeah, our film was only what four days in, in or three days of filming. Yeah, and at the end, uh, I felt done. So yeah. that that that's done. That's me. I was quite happy to go home and uh, and take my pictures again. Yeah, and as well, you'll come. You guys will come to here on the on the show. You know, we feel a lot of DPs working on fifty two day shoots for <laughs> so um yeah see the <laughs> it gets a lot worse than that yeah, of course. Days. so uh thank you chris for uh interviewing me and uh for me interviewing you and i mean it's been a delight let's go to... get let's go get some breakfast yeah i became <laughs> gradually more horizontal during the interview as well it's been delightful yeah let's go this is how we should do it from now on just yeah. lying down <laughs> I quite like the idea of yeah, getting some DOP and then lying on the floor with them and just talking, yeah. staring at the ceiling. Lying down with Alan Shell and Christopher Heaton, that's the <laughs> alternative name. For the the alternative title. <laughs> All uh, right, well, thanks everyone for listening and uh, I hope you enjoy the episodes of the show we've got coming and it uh, be great to hear what you make of it and what you make of what everyone has to say and your, your kind of thoughts on the show as well. Whee! <laughs> All right, bye. Bye.